We're in the fourth message here in this last part of Mark, which, as your bulletin says, is titled The Jesus Revolution. And what I've said uh, over these weeks, if you've been here, is, you know, as we follow, we've been doing the whole book of Mark in pieces since last um, September. But as you get closer to the cross, often called the passion, right, of Christ, the, really what is about a third of the gospel, uh, the, you know, time on words on a page, but is certainly the, the centerpiece of Jesus' um, purpose is the cross. But the closer you get to the cross, the more the um, revelation of Jesus, you might say, becomes sharper, right? And I suppose this is probably true even for um, people, uh, even you and me, that is to say, as things become more serious, more intense, as our life becomes more in focus uh, in times, sometimes even in crisis, you might say, or, or defining moments in your life, if you're, you know, you think of your spouse or your kids or whatever, when there's defining moments, who you are becomes um, clearer. Uh, and that's certainly true for Jesus. The whole gospel's about the revelation of who he is. Our whole Christian life is about learning more and more. But you'll see it especially in this passage as we head towards the cross. But it's not only true of Jesus, we not only get a clearer picture of who he is, we get a better understanding of what it really means um, to be his follower, which is what we'll also see in this passage, in a message titled, The Temptation of Jesus. So if you have a copy of the Bible, we're here in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42, uh, familiar passage perhaps, uh, Jesus in the garden uh, called Gethsemane. Mark 14, 32 to 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The temptation of Jesus. Jesus takes, this is probably the third or fourth time where he takes just these three disciples, you might call them the, the leaders, Peter, James, and John, um, on a special assignment, right? He did that at the Mount of Transfiguration, huge moment. He did that when he raised someone from the dead, Jairus' daughter. And he does it here, but he does it, I'm sure, so that they can see some things that no one else has ever seen, right? The transfiguration is one of them. 
but it's designed, it's in Scripture, so that through the eyes of the disciples, we can see things that no one else has ever seen. And I think what we see in this um, prayer of Jesus, in this unique window into his suffering, the first thing we see here is this. You will only appreciate his love if you understand his suffering, right? That's why this was done. Why see? This has to be. I mean, um, when you look at the life of Jesus, he's, he's almost always in control. I mean that in a good sense. I mean, whether it's persecution, whether it's, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the enemies, the critics, the leaders, the, whether it's, you know, uh, the, the, the natural phenomenon, the storms, the troubles, the crowds, the press. Jesus never seems to lose his cool. He never seems to be um, anxious. He's, he's always the most calm and, and direct and, um, you know, a uh, 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 cool presence there is, except here. Right? This is a different Jesus. He's experiencing something different. And he wants his disciples to see it, and it's his suffering. Why? It's interesting the portrait of the disciples that we see in the scriptures, you know. Um, I'm kind of glad my story uh, isn't played out for all the world to see, especially when, you, when it comes to Jesus teaching on suffering, right? Jesus does a lot of teaching on suffering, and even we, we looked at this three times. In Mark's gospel, privately, he takes the disciples. Chapter 9, verse 32, if you want one reference. Privately, he, he takes them aside and he looks them directly in the face. And he says, listen, let me tell you what's going to happen. No nonsense, no metaphor, no figurative language, right, as he does in other places. I am going to be arrested. I am going to be crucified. I am going to be killed. And then I'm going to raise on the third day. Very straightforward language. But the disciples, strangely, right, when Jesus talks about suffering, only hear what they want to hear. Right? It's amazing how we do that, and in, in, in I think we're supposed to see ourselves here. When it comes to sometimes people have difficult things to say to us, it's amazing how selective, how avoidant we are, and the disciples do it. And in, 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 as I said, in, in uh, the last time Jesus does it, in Mark chapter 9, he tells them exactly what's going to happen. It says this, they did not understand what he said. Now, what, does that seem difficult? Now, of course, it means emotionally they didn't understand. They understood the words, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to rise from the dead. But that's big stuff. They did not understand those. What do you mean? But then it says this, and they were too afraid to ask him. Right? I know we're like that. We are masters at avoiding things that we do not like to hear, right? Like, you know, uh, think about this with your spouse, maybe with your friends, students, with other friends in school, you know, with your kids. You know, when we know something is, uh, uh, we don't, we're not interested in the answer. We don't want the news because that news will be, will be difficult to hear. It will be painful to hear. Maybe it will, I'll be responsible to do something. So I just assume not ask the question, you know, we do this all the time. You know, what did you think of my speech, you know, or, or how do I look in this dress, you know, or whatever the case may be. I can still remember the first time one of my brothers came to hear me, you know, his little brother, the pastor, uh, one of the few times, not church-going guy, ever came to hear me speak, all right? 
And we got over, now I could have just let it go, but I thought, I'm dying to know what he thinks. And I said, hey, what did you think about my speech, as he called it? What did you think? He said, you know, I finally got it. That's exactly what he said. And I thought, wow, how good am I? The one time I finally got it. And I said, what? And he goes, it's a lot like stand-up comedy. You know, that's what he said. And I don't think he's been back uh, since, maybe, maybe once or twice, right? Point is, the disciples, Jesus talks about suffering, but they're afraid to ask him. But there's a purpose, right? Jesus isn't just simply trying to show them um, what a great leader he is, what a great, the purpose is it's only when we truly appreciate his suffering. This is true for the whole Christian life. That we, can, that we can appreciate and appropriate his love. That's what he wants them to see. When Jesus rebukes them, Simon, why are you asleep? He's not critical of their, the, the fact that they're you know, physically tired. It's their, it's their spiritual sleepiness. That's what it means to watch. That's what he's saying because he's saying, listen, I have a purpose. My greatest revelation of everything that I've ever shown you and everything I ever taught you is right here and right now that you might see my suffering and in my suffering you might get a real window, a greater understanding of how much I love you. This is the greatest revelation I have. It's a spiritual truth and you're sleeping through the whole thing. Am I sleeping through it? Are you sleeping through it? That's why this is in the Bible. Think about Jesus' suffering just for a minute. I don't know if you've ever thought about this passage, but as I thought about it this week. Is this, you know, real? Or is this, you know, um, rhetorical, right? He says to Peter and James and John, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. So much so, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. What does that mean? What it means is this. It was killing him. So Jesus in this moment, right, as, as far as we know, as, as he's anticipating, I guess, his death, he's, he already said this was going to happen, so he's known this for a long time. Maybe he's envisioning his, the crucifixion. Maybe he's envisioning, you know, the actual flogging, whatever the case may be. He's not just, you know, having a bad moment. He's not just a little down about it. He is so distressed, so troubled. Verse 35, he goes a little further. He falls to the ground. Now, what? Is this play acting or is it real? He falls to, he's not, he's not saying he took the posture to pray. He was so overwhelmed that he fell to the ground. Now I ask myself this question as I thought about it this week. What's really going on here? Now facing death is a big deal. But you know when I look at the rest of the New Testament, there's followers of Jesus who face death with a lot more poise than this. I mean... You look at Stephen in Acts chapter 7. If you remember the story, I mean, there was no stumbling around. There was no overwhelmed with grief. He looked up and he said, you know, Father, receive my spirit. And it was amazing. You look at the Apostle Paul, those of you who, you know, you know, know Christian history. I mean, there's dozens, hundreds of stories of people throughout the history of the church, past and present, who seem to handle death better than Jesus did what gives? Well, I think what gives is the suffering that's going on here is not physical suffering. In other words, Jesus is not uh, thinking about 
the, simply the fact that he's going to be nailed to a cross. He's thinking about something much greater than that. Jesus' greatest fear was not physical pain, right? He didn't say on the cross, my God, my God, why did you hurt me? Right? He said, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? Right? What Jesus Christ was most afraid of was not physical pain. It was abandonment, right, by his father. That's what he was afraid of. And what I think's going on here, right, and I stand on the shoulders of many other smart men, but what I think is going on here is not simply a, you know, he's playing the movie in his head of saying, hmm, I'm going to go to the cross, right? I'm going to go to the electric chair. I'm, I'm going to die, and that's, that's heavy. That's, that's, we, 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 we see that in other places in the Scripture and outside of it in church history. No, I think what's going on here is God the Father has begun the process already, right? God the Father has already begun to pull himself away from Jesus, and let me tell you something about Jesus. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's, he's, he's everything the scriptures say he is. And as God's son, there's probably nothing. One of the reasons Jesus was such a, was such a cool, great leader is there's, he's so smart, he's so wise that you know, there, was no, there was no situation he couldn't anticipate, whether it was the storms on the Sea of Galilee, whether it was the criticism, all the things that got his disciples upset. Jesus knew it all. He was God. He, he, he was, he, there's nothing he doesn't know as God's son. But, far as I know, what he experienced in these moments was something he had never experienced in his life, both his life on earth and his life before. He'd never, he had no paradigm for it. He had no precedent for it. He'd ne he knew it was coming his whole life, but he'd never experienced the absence of his father in my senses, and I think other people would say this, God right here in this moment, in the Garden of Gethsemane said, I'm going to start my withdrawal right now. Because I want these disciples, that's you and me, to understand the true significance of what Jesus Christ is doing. He's not just taking a bullet for you. He's not just taking a nail for you. He's experiencing the absence of God for you. You know, the Bible talks a lot about hell. And I was thinking to myself, I don't know if I've ever given a, a sermon on hell. Probably need to. Uh, it's in the Bible. And what does the Bible say about hell? You know, the flames and the fire and the torture. And what does all that mean, Pastor? And, you know, I'm not sure what it means. You know, I believe in hell. But all I'm saying is there's, 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 there's a lot to try to understand. What does this mean? But one thing for sure, it seems very clear to me that hell is. Hell is a place where people are separated from God, right? And I would say this. There's not a person that has ever lived no matter how anti-God they are, no matter how opposed they are to faith or Christianity or any kind, there's not a person that's ever lived on this planet that has ever truly experienced the total absence of God because God is in the world in the presence of the Holy Spirit, even for people who don't love him and don't care about him. But hell is a place, right? People say hell on earth. No, it's worse. 
where God is truly absent. And what you see in this passage, I think, I'm not the only one, is that the Father begins to pull away from the Son so that you could really see what, that Jesus Christ voluntarily, knowing already what would be coming in 24 hours, that he would experience not just the nails, not just the flogging, but that God the Father would completely and totally check out and remove himself and Jesus would be completely and totally alone. And he sees it in this passage so that his sleepy disciples and you and me would say, I'm going to be alone so that you don't have to, right? This is what the gospel is. This is what the gospel is. And you will only appreciate his love Right when you truly understand his suffering. And he invites the disciples in, and they sleep through most of it. And sometimes I think, here you and I, we have the scriptures. My goodness, we have so many resources. It's, it's, it's laughable how many of us, in a manner of speaking, are sleeping through the gospel every single day of our lives. We don't take time to appreciate and understand what it is that God has really done for us. We showed a video last week if you were in church. Story of a young woman from our church experienced deep depression who faced the darkness in her own life almost to the place of committing suicide until she found Jesus Christ. Right? Over 2,000 people, I guess, Pete told me, uh, watched that video because she came to the conclusion that Jesus faced an even greater darkness for her, right? You will only appreciate his love when you've come to understand his suffering. Second thing you see in this passage, right? Jesus has time even at his worst to teach us something. Teach us something about prayer. He says, share God's desires. Share your desires, excuse me, but go with God's. Share your desires, but go with God's. Look at this prayer, one verse. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. There's an awful lot to learn from this prayer, if you're watching, right? If I'm watching. You know, for many years in my life, Christian for 30-something years, um, I edited my prayers, right? That is, I thought, you know, people who are mature Christians, and that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a mature Christian. People who are mature Christians, you know, they're not asking God to pray for their test, you know. They're not asking God to pray for their promotion. I mean, I hear that, but I thought, that's not what mature Christians do. They're not asking God to help them through their, you know, their broken heart from the, the girl that, uh, you know, said no or whatever the case may be. I said, you know, as a mature Christian, God's interested in one thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what I want to focus. So I'm going to edit my prayers because I want to be a mature Christian. And you know, I mean, if the Bible says it, and, uh, and I can, you know, not, the Bible doesn't say answer every question, but if, if it was clear through the scriptures, this is what I should do. And then I take counsel from close friends 
who said to me, listen, I've listened in the multitude of counselors. There is wisdom. Rob, this is what you need to do. I think it's clear and we get guidance that way. I said to myself, listen, what do I need to go to God for? I mean, again, why do I need to go to him when the Bible has been very clear and my friends and counselors have been very clear? This is the path that I need to take. Why go to God just because it's hard or just because, frankly, I don't want to do it? Well, apparently Jesus didn't get the memo, okay? Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Now, what is he saying here? I don't think he's saying, he's talking about God's, the, the sheer nature of God's power. I don't think he's saying, he, he's making a comment on God's capacity. You can do everything, also you can get me out of this jam. In other words, you have the power to do it. I don't think he's talking about God's power I think he's talking about God's will. What he's saying is, listen, God, everything is possible. I know this is what you've planned for me to do. I know in a manner of speaking, this is my destiny because I've already said it three times at least. No mystery here. I'm going to die. He said, but might there be another way? Right? Might there be another way? Because what you want and what I want in this moment are not the same thing. Jesus has no problem acknowledging that what he wants and what his father wants are not the same thing. Now you might say, oh, that's heresy. I know, I can hear the emails coming already, right? <laughs> I would say to you this, it's not heresy, it's orthodoxy. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Is it possible that Jesus could want something that God, his Father, did not want? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. In every way, just as we are. Do you believe that? Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy. This is the lesson. And find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ did not squelch his desire, right? Even the one he knew was not what his father wanted. He did the opposite. He poured it out, right? Think about that. He didn't edit his prayers. He, did you ever read the Psalms, by the way? Talk about pouring out your prayers, pouring out your... I mean, David said things about other people that were absolutely outrageous, right? Jesus Christ didn't squelch his desires. He poured them out, but... Okay, here's where it becomes a grown-up prayer. He was willing to take those desires and put them into God's hands, right? Yet, not what I will, but what you will. You want to 
experience a revolution in your life? You want to experience a revolution in your faith? We want to experience a true revolution in the life of the church? Start praying that way. Don't edit your desires. Matter of fact, don't, I would encourage you not only to ask God for what you feel you need or you want, go ahead and beg him for it. But just be willing to give it to him and say, listen, I'm going to give it to you, but I've already decided I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to go where you want me to go, and I'm going to sacrifice whatever you want me to sacrifice, right? Start praying that way, and you will see a revolution take place in your life. And that's really what the Jesus revolution is all about. If you really want to appropriate his love, you really need to appreciate his suffering. Number two, share your desires, but go with God's. And then lastly, the lesson of this passage. Desperate prayer should be our way of life. So amazing about this passage. And, you know, I I took time this week to just, not just read it, familiar passage, these 11 verses, whatever it is, but to think about it, pray about it, pray over it, mull it around. What does it say? And I hope you do that. And you say, well, you're our pastor. That's what we pay you for. And to a degree, I suppose that's true. But you know what? This great experience isn't just for me or us. I hope you take Scripture, especially the Gospels even. What do the Gospels have to say about Jesus that you don't know yet? Right? That you haven't experienced yet. And here's what I, when I, when I, as I spend some time in this passage, many things I saw, but here's what so amazed me about Jesus or one of the things. This is clearly the most difficult, painful, you know, when you're in pain and you're in difficulty, what happens? You, you go inward, right? I mean, I don't have time to think about you. I don't have time to think about anything. I'm holding it all together so much so that he falls to the ground. Now, either he's play acting, I don't think so, or this is real. But even in the midst of this kind of sorrow, overwhelming, uh, you know, the absence of his father, right? He's experiencing it now, right? He has time to pay attention to his disciples. The whole passage pivots. And we go in verse 37 and 38 from the temptation of Jesus to your temptation. Can you imagine? And my temptation. Instead of saying, Peter, James, John, could you not stay awake with me just for a little while? I'm going through the worst thing ever. I mean, the cross is nothing compared to this. The Father has exited the stage. I'm all here by myself. I've never experienced this kind of abandonment. I don't even know how to do this. I can hardly stand up. But he's got the, where, that's why he brought them here, by the way, right? Couldn't you watch with me one hour? Now verse 38. He turns his focus on them, on you. Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. There's a lesson here for you guys, he's saying. The spirit is willing 
but the flesh is weak. What he's saying is, the problem for most of us, right? I said we're going to see not only does Jesus come into clear, sharper relief as he faces his suffering, so does what it means to be a follower, you and me. Here's the problem. Here's one thing I know about every person in this room who's a thoughtful Christian. If you're, you know, you're, you're, in the real, you're really in this. Is that more often than not, your problem, my problem, is not knowing what it is I should do or knowing where it is God might be leading me in my life. My problem isn't information. Sometimes it is. It's the ability, the power, the strength to do what it is that God has asked me to do. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, up for her. I mean, and on and on and on and on, right? The problem I have is Jesus says, listen, let me tell you something. What Jesus says, as great as the Apostle Paul is and all these other uh, folks and the right, right scripture, what Jesus says in half a verse takes Paul 16 chapters in Romans to do, Right? The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, right? Jesus saying, listen, there are, do, do I know what God wants me to do? Of course I do. That's why I came into the world. I've known this from the time I was a kid. I'm going to be about my father's business, he told his mother Mary, right? I knew what this was about, but now that I'm here, now that I'm experiencing it, he says, I got I to I tell you something. I do not want to do this. All right, Keith? I don't want to do it. Not my will. It's not my will. And Jesus is saying, listen, if that's true of me, James, John, Peter, John, right, Jerry, George, Stephanie, it's going to be true of you. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Desperate prayer needs to become a way of life. Is it a way of life for you? Question on the back of the bulletin says this. Where in your life, I don't have one in front of me, but I think I got this right. Where in your life do you feel most tempted to abandon God, right? What do you mean by abandon God? I'm not saying you throw him out the window. You, 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 you put your Bible in the fire. I'm saying that you're, 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 you're saying no to what it is that God is asking you to do, right? Where in your life do you most feel tempted to abandon God? That's where you need, that's where I need to experience a desperate prayer. God, Abba, Father, if, it's, if there's another way to get this done that I haven't thought of, a third way, help me. To, let's, I want to know if that's there, but if there isn't a third way, if there's no other way, not my will, but yours be done. Stand with me uh, as we pray.